Welcome to the Rooted Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Wild, and I'm an author and mother. Here we have conversations on sovereign and instinctual womanhood and motherhood, cultivating thriving wellness, and much more. Listen to powerful birth and healing stories and topics on the wild woman experience. You can check out all I offer, including herbal elixirs for wild mothers and women, my book on pelvic healing, and all the show notes for these episodes at bethanywild.com. Now for the show. Welcome all. I am so glad you're here. This is going to be a pretty fun conversation and as I alluded to in the title, mind expanding, at least it was for me, it was really fun to learn all about these different things that really challenged my notions of what I thought was the the scientific truth about something, or at least opened my mind to the possibility that there's so much more to you know, our bodies and fertility that is... Um, truly so mystical and um, I think it would do better for all of us to be challenged in all of our notions and to recognize fertility and our bodies as deeply magical and often acting outside of the bounds of what we think it could or should do. So um, if you haven't heard of fertility astrology or your lunar conception window, I think you're really going to enjoy hearing about uh, some of these these things being expanded by some of this knowledge. I really love talking to Athena. She's such an open and authentic and interesting woman. I know you know, just listening to some of her stories, I knew that there is, uh, there was so much more to ask about and expand upon, but we only have so much time. So I think you'll enjoy her, uh, true candid honesty and humility and her trust in the body and all of these processes. Um, and just sharing, you know, about her preconception path it was all very inspiring to me. And I think that you will come away from this conversation with a lot as well. So we talk about Athena's path into herbalism, birth work, and then fertility astrology. Uh, it was really interesting hearing about echinacea. I think you will, you'll like that little tidbit too. Uh, we talk about the history of fertility astrology and using its principles to potentially time conception hormonal fertility uh, as most potent, and then the fertile moon phase as an additional but less potent access point, the mystical connection that women have with the moon and the planets and its entwinement, entwinement with fertility, and then releasing what we are told and know about the rigid pattern of ovulation and examples of other animals in nature who release eggs based on the signal of sex, which I found incredibly interesting. You'll notice I say fascinating and interesting a lot in this conversation because uh, it truly was. We also talk about astrological influences and transits on conception and then her big four theories behind all of this. 
uh, which is, which will, um, be cool for those of you who, who want to know a little bit, maybe about the deeper science of it and the many, she also talks about the many, many opportunities to deepen into trust that the preconception time and beyond offer us as women. She says, women conceive how they live. And then she also shares about her own two different preconception paths and her current one that is full of humility, trust, and humor, along with her many layers of healing and shifting along the way. Um, Then she shares about her work, infertility, and just to kind of sum up this conversation, or at least part of it, she basically says, if you don't conceive right away, it's because there's something there for you. And that is a sentiment that I agree deeply with based on my own beliefs, as well as my former work with women in these spaces and witnessing them along their journeys. And I think it's a much better perspective to take if you find that this is your situation as well. So Athena is the devotional keeper of wild, willing wisdom, a point of connection where women reclaim their conscious conceptions, wild births, and innate ability to heal. She is a womb-led practicing fertility astrologer and herbalist whose goal is to guide women into attunement with their cosmic fertility and authentic expression using star-centered and earth-based wisdom. So definitely check out the show notes for some of the resources that, uh, that we mentioned throughout this conversation. I think you would really like her Substack. It's where she shares her cosmic conception diaries. And she's just a really great writer that draws you in and you really feel like you are listening to her speak directly to you in a very friendly way. So I think that would be really fun for you to check out and definitely her Instagram too, where she shares a lot about these topics and deepens in it. And you can explore, uh, you know, all about fertility astrology. And then she also has a lot of free resources that I've utilized as well to understand these concepts a little better and to figure out my fertile windows. Um, so yeah, definitely check out all the show notes Thank you all so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I am loving these conversations and bringing them out to you. And I love receiving all of the feedback that that I do from women who are touched and inspired by the episodes that I'm putting out. So if you're enjoying it, I would love you to leave a review. It's really quick, really easy, and it helps me get this out to more women so I can continue this project. So thank you all again for being here and let's get into Athena's stories. Together now, 
So I feel like my journey into fertility astrology kind of began, I mean, I I was always kind of witchy (laughs) and sort of like leaning Mm. towards more like, you know, interests in esoteric subjects. And for many years throughout my 20s was very interested in herbalism, but it was very surface level and kind of, you know, sort of, I I only knew what marketing taught us about herbalism. So even very incorrect things like, oh, take echinacea for colds, which is not correct. And like other things like that, right? right. Hold on. What? I don't know that myth. Sorry to jump in so soon, but (laughs) (laughs) is that that um, not correct? Yeah. Like pop culture herbalism or commercial herbalism, whatever you want to call it, I guess, uh, for some reason has begun pushing this or began pushing this notion that you're supposed to work with echinacea to prevent cold and flu, or even like when you already have symptoms of cold and flu. And that's not really at all what echinacea is traditionally used for the root of echinacea, the plant, um, especially in North America was really traditionally used for very intense, uh, the need for very intense healing interventions uh, that cleanse required cleansing of the blood. So like if you get bit Mm. by a poisonous snake, you're going to take echinacea, you know, it's for situations like that. Interesting. And um, echinacea doesn't actually really prevent like cold and flu symptoms. <laughs> I don't, I don't that, that makes sense because I've taken those teas and they don't really seem yeah. to help. No. <laughs> okay, now Anything. now I'm like wondering <laughs> all the other things I don't know about culture, herbalism, but I'll let you get into the rest of your story. Maybe right. I'll, so, I'll so ask this you is where. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and the, the reason why it's relevant is because being interested in herbalism ultimately led me into finally wanting to take my practice of it more seriously. And for me, my gateway into that world ended up being working with Sage Apopam in the School of Evolutionary Herbalism, which now looking back, you know, there are many different ways to get to know the plants. And sometimes I think being too involved in some of these courses is not always necessarily the way right it's, it's kind of funny it's almost like how you go to school like you learn and then you have to unlearn <laughs> and <Yeah>. I <laughs> when it comes to a lot of these earth-based practices that really are actually a reclamation of our ancestors and what women know in their bones and their blood you know to be true and in their relationship with these with these things that yeah sometimes it's sort of interesting that you kind of have to Anyway, that's a whole other topic. But so I started yeah. uh, my entryway into herbalism was through this course. And um, there was a bonus module that introduced me as the student to medical astrology. And of course, I was somewhat interested in astrology at this time, just in terms of personality and knowing your big three and stuff like that. Lots of like pop, again, pop culture, surface levels kind of astrology. And but I didn't, ha- I didn't know that you know, there was this whole other layer to astrology where you could also look at someone's chart and identify their constitution, their healing expressions, why they needed emergency surgery on XYZ day for some weird freak accident or like just stuff like that. Right. 
Um, but it was a very big subject and I didn't really know how to actually apply it in like an applicable way. Like I had trouble assimilating it. Like, okay, but then what do you do with this information? How is it going to help the women that I'm working with? And I sort of put it down for a little while. And then, you know, many people know my story at this point. I've talked about it in other places, went through a series of firewalks and other initiations and was still kind of trying to find my path, like my little corner to inhabit in the world of women's health. And uh, a little bit more than a year ago, I ended up seeing, I don't know how, you know, these things just kind of come into your life, right? Because you're just meant to Mm -hmm. connect with them. But somehow I saw that uh, a very world-renowned astrologer, Judith Hill, was teaching a virtual workshop on fertility astrology. And I was like, well, I clearly have to know all about this because this is totally relevant, right? And I wasn't really sure what to expect, but what I learned sort of just blew my mind. And then I ended up kind of considering this information as being something that should be considered a necessary component to women's, you know, sovereign body literacy, fertility, all of these practices that a lot of us in this realm are all coming back into alignment with. Uh, And basically the teachings were passed down from the 1950s. So this is a more contemporary discovery. Well, ish, right? It was developed more um, recently in the 1950s by Dr. Eugen Jonas, but he discovered these aspects of um, astrology because in studying medical astrology and other forms of astrology, he discovered a quote from Babylonian and Assyrian astrologers that said, woman is fertile during a certain phase of the moon. So in in many ways, of course, astrology, I mean, astrology is like the oldest science known to man, right? It's like astrology and alchemy are like the oldest sciences known to man. So in some ways, this um, development of fertility astrology as we are practicing it today is relatively new and yet our ancestors from many, many, many years ago always understood that there was a connection between the cosmos and specifically the moon and female fertility. So Dr. Eugen Jonas discovered this quote and of course had questions like, what do you mean during a certain phase of the moon? Is it the same phase of the moon for all women or, you know, like what are the details and which phase is it? So he started studying um, many, many charts in relation to when women were conceiving and when they were giving birth and all of this kind of stuff and ultimately discovered a pattern. And the patterns aligned with three basic principles. The first principle is that the same phase of the moon that women were born under ultimately inspires an additional fertile window for them when they are older in their childbearing years. Meaning if you were born under a full moon, then every time it is a full moon during your childbearing years, that opens up a secondary fertile window in your cycle in which you are cosmically fertile. Uh, Whether or not it aligns with your actual ovulation. So we can talk more about that, how that works too. Uh, But then the second principle was that depending on what sign the moon was in, that it actually influenced the sex of the baby that was born. So you can kind of use that to plan for 
either a boy or a girl or even do sex prediction. Uh, and then the third principle was that there are other transits that occur within someone's uh, natal chart that can influence things like the birth outcome, the quality of the pregnancy, uh, the health of the child, things like that. So basically using fertility astrology, you can bring a cosmic layer of awareness into your preconception planning. But in the way that I use it as well, you can also combine it with the study of medical astrology. So you can really get to know your physiology on a whole different level, right? Like this, it's adding depth to oftentimes what women already kind of know about themselves, but aren't sure. Right. And then when you look at the chart, there's sort of this confirmation like, oh, that's why I am the way that I am. Or that's why I crave this practice. Everyone tells that that's not the thing right now. You should be doing it this way or, you know, what have you. So it can be really um, comforting and affirming to have those reflections available to you through the natal chart, which is really just uh, a mirror for the imprints that you took on when you came into this life uh, and also not even just that you were like you know a, an a afflicted by these imprints or a victim of these imprints but also that I believe that you came in at a very specific moment so that your you know your um, your purpose the whole reason why you're here who you came here to be in this human form is reflected in the energetics of the cosmos at the time of of your birth. So there's many layers to how our souls choose to come in and out of these human lives. And it's very much reflected in the cosmos, just in the same way that we understand that our menstrual cycle is reflected in the seasons, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is absolutely fascinating. I have so many questions on all of the different points that you were mentioning. First, what comes to mind is what do you think um, the invention of electricity has to do with this? Because it's like, mm. we have this idea that women all, you know, bled on the new moon and then they ovulated around the full moons. And then most women would birth like 10 moons after that. So full moon, full moon would all line up. Um, but now everyone is in all these different directions. Yeah. I mean, I've thought about that. I have thought about that a lot because now I know that there are definitely women in my audience who are in different, you know, they're on their own alignments in their own alignments. And some of them are in alignment with their actual unique fertile moon phase, which may not be the full moon, of course. Mm -hmm. And then you sort of think yeah. about you know, this, you know, these like ancient stories about all of the women bleeding at the exact same time and ovulating with the full moon. Um, yeah. And I've wondered a lot about what that means in terms of this study, like, you know, this knowledge of astrology and why, I mean, if it is true that all women really bled at the same time, I mean, I think we can all uh, see you know all of the reasons why that is no longer happening <laughs> right yeah um, mm -hmm. and it almost kind of makes me wonder in some ways if like you know because ov obviously the hormonal your hormonal fertility is going to be your you know most potent source of fertility 
And then your fertile moon phase is going to be maybe like a less potent source uh, access to your fertility. And then if those two windows overlap, then it's even more, right, potent. Mm -hmm. Um, And for some reason, I'm like thinking that in, in some ways it has something to do with how much we do struggle in our current culture to connect with our fertility and to be in alignment with our fertility and to, you know, access that and be healthy in that. Like there, there's so much more struggle now for couples to be fertile, right. And to conceive. And we're seeing all the infertility rates rising and there's so many reasons why that is going on. Um, but yeah, it almost makes me think that like our ancestors didn't necessarily need to be conceiving during their fertile moon phases, right? Because they were mm-hmm. so deeply in alignment with their like earth fertility, their earth-based fertility, you know? Um, yeah. And so like, I don't know. I mean, there's no way to know for sure because how, like there's no, I don't know of any stories like painted on a cave yeah. wall that is like, oh, case of a woman who like did not conceive under the full moon, but she did <laughs> under the crescent moon, you know? <laughs> you I know. know I mean? All we can do is just so work like- with all these variations. <laughs> yeah. But alignment, and- that feels like the key word here. That's That's what I feel with astrology. And I love what you're saying when we're born, it's like a mirror of the imprint of the cosmos at the time. And yeah, there's nothing more magical and mystical than fertility. And that's why I love this conversation so much. And yeah, I mean, I think as women, our fertility will be so served the more we connect to the moon and the earth and the planets. I was just thinking how I feel like I don't know if you saw the great American eclipse in 2017. It ran through Oregon. Oh. Um, but that's what where I felt like it was like it was the most amazing natural phenomenon I've ever seen in my life. It was incredible. Like I think everyone listening should should see an eclipse in their lifetime. But yeah, I feel like my daughter's soul entered through that eclipse portal. Mm-hmm. And and I, I didn't conceive her for, for a few years, but it was like she came through and then I felt that connection after that. And there's just so much, yeah, it's so mysterious, our connection as women with the moon and the planets. And there's so many of us yeah. that are so drawn to astrology and and we're, we're literally, our bodies and our, our cycles are guided by the moon. I mean, there's there's so much here. So it's so, it's so fascinating. It's like, yeah, there's the science part of it. And then there's the part that we're just never going to, it's never going to be quantified. And yeah, um, we would be served by, by appreciating that rather than trying to break everything down. Like, I, I guess I do want to ask you on the scientific side. Do you think though that um, during the fertile moon phase, do you think an additional egg is actually released or is it just, you're just not concerned and it doesn't really matter necessarily? (laughs) No, I mean, I've been asked about this before and I, I don't necessarily think that an additional egg is released every time. Um, I think that there are, it's, it's sort of like what you're saying. There's, there's a mystery to all of the different forces at play. And I've heard, 
from previous astrologers and um, physicians who worked with this medicine and have have their own theories too that you know some people think that it's sort of a combination of making love under the fertile moon phase that inspires potentially a secondary release of an egg uh, almost like oh, I think rabbits interesting I think rabbits are like that where rabbits don't have oh. that's why they, they they have that you know um, reputation where they produce so many babies it's because it's, <laughs> as soon as a rabbit makes love if you will then like the their body will just release an egg or multiple oh, eggs oh that is so cool works. yeah so it's not I necessarily on a yeah it's not necessarily on a yeah. cycle so when mm. you know we're working with our fertile moon phases there obviously an egg needs to be released in order for a conception to occur right uh but clearly we don't need the hormonal patterns in order for that to happen that uh we you know that we've been taught need to happen in order for that egg to be released especially when you're looking at cases in which women are conceiving on the second day of their menstrual cycle you know what i mean and it's mm. and it's like there's no it like it doesn't make you've been, you know, it doesn't make any sense. You've been taught. It doesn't make any sense. You, you know, even women with their working with their fam charts and it's like, it's not like, you know, mo most of the women in my audience seem extremely body literate and, you know, they're on top of it, right? Like these are women who are charting mm -hmm. and taking temperatures and they know what their bodies are doing. And it's not like, you know, it's just, oh yeah, I had sex a few times last week, but I'm not really sure. But like my fertile moon phase was in there somewhere. And then I just had a baby, right? It's like, <laughs> like, like women Easy. know, like when they're yeah. making love and like where they are in their cycle and where their moons are. Um, and you just see it over and over again, where, uh, yeah, women are conceiving during all different phases, cycles, you know, points in their cycle where it doesn't look like it's when they should be conceiving things upside down because, yeah, especially when in the, in the world of fam charting, it's kind of like, th this is why I think that fertility astrology and having like fertile moon phase literacy essentially is such a key part of charting one cycles if you are going to be in that realm because now i fully believe that there's a whole other additional cosmic layer that comes into play when women are navigating and you know co-creating their fertility essentially uh whether you're trying not to have a baby or you you are trying to have a baby right you kind of want to know this information um I mean, we all know someone, yeah, like women getting pregnant on their periods or women getting pregnant with IUDs or women getting pregnant on birth control. Like there's all of these stories. We all know someone who has one where they got pregnant when they shouldn't have. Uh, and of course, like it would be so amazing to do like a huge kind of like study and like gather all of these stories and like really be able mm -hmm. to prove the pattern. But um, I think that a lot of these cases involve you know, fertility astrology factors, and especially the the fertile moon phase, because we're just not taught to be aware of it. And yeah, and because, you know, like we said earlier, like women are not, you know, bleeding in the woods <laughs> with the new moon, and, you know, mm -hmm. making love in, in all of their splendor under the full moon. Um, we're not, you know, we're not connected to those cycles anymore. We don't live in community like that anymore. So when women are working with their, in their preconception journeys, there's a lot there. I think there's a, there's a lot more there than our 
ancient, ancient ancestors ever had to contend with, you know, like women um, come to me and they have, it's like, there's all of the physical expressions that aren't being addressed. And then there's all the psycho emotional stories that aren't being addressed. And then in addition to that, you have the fertile moon phases that are not being taken into consideration in addition to all of the other transits that are occurring in their chart you know like there are certain transits that can be taking place that are just like like trying to have a baby during those windows is going to be like swimming upstream you know it's it's not going to be easy or as likely as other times in your life and it just makes you think too even growing up like common phrases like oh it, it just wasn't in the stars right stuff like people have these sayings when things just don't seem to work out when you should have just not even tried because it's just like not in the stars for you <laughs> it's like you're, yeah. you're working against the tides right and it's like we're we're so interconnected with like much bigger a much bigger energetic field you know and mm-hmm. it's all it's all part of of the story and, and, and our lives are much more complicated now. Like we don't have to choose for them to it, to be that way, but for most people it is, you know? Um, so things were not, uh, yeah, things are not as, as I don't want to say simplified, but yeah, things are not as simplified as, as they used to be, uh, cycles in our bodies are constantly trying to adapt to the way that we're choosing to live, which is not the way that our bodies are designed to thrive. So anyway, I could go on a whole, could keep rambling, but. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that, that kind of makes sense to me that there's this like cosmic gravitational pull that's um, stimulating the release of an egg or stimulating some fertility, um, additional fertility factors. I think that that's a really interesting yeah. concept to me I didn't realize the other technically more like scientifically speaking I think like the big four uh theories are surround um gravity gravity right gravitational pull on fluids uh the electromagnetic field that's being altered by the lunar cycles and other planets uh light the way in which the moonlight influences our hormones through uh you know the nerve in our in our eyes, which connect to the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland, and then um, ionization, because the moon phases also impact uh, positive and negative ions in the atmosphere. So all of these things combined kind of are, you know, in the invisible plane, constantly influencing uh, our energetic bodies. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, whatever spiritual factors are at play the souls that we interact with their intentions our higher selves our guides whatever people choose to believe in they have their own timeline perhaps oh yeah can move mountains you know (laughs) totally yeah it's really interesting to think about um kind of like manifesting a child in many ways because you know they have their own agenda too Like, we, I I feel like when, you know, it's obviously a very primal desire as a woman to want to have a baby and I don't fault, you know, anyone for that, but there, there's also this tendency to kind of become very obsessed with the idea in a, in a selfish way, 
you know, because we start thinking about what we want when we want it. And we stop thinking about what's best for our baby, right? The baby that has yet to come through. Um, Mm. Whether it has to do with like, how, like who that child needs us to be before it comes through or like how we are communicating with that child, what our intentions actually are around who we want that child to be can influence whether or not they feel welcome to come through. Um, yeah, what, and you don't know too, like again, they when they come into us as a vessel between the spirit realm and the earth realm, they're they're choosing that timeline very specifically because ultimately the way in which that they are born into the world and the cosmic imprints that are going to be placing their mark on that soul's human life in this time around right is going to be part of that child's soul's evolution it's much bigger than just who they choose Mm -hmm. to be in this life right like that soul is on its own evolutionary journey that is very specific and purposeful and it spans hundreds and hundreds of lifetimes, right? So it's much bigger than just our current human ego and like what we desire and want in the now moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is the opportunity for women who are having fertility issues is they get that long time frame of working on themselves and working on all these things and um yeah learning how to let go which is probably what they their soul is needing yeah it always it makes me think about when I have friends who are very struggling at the end of pregnancy and they really want to have their baby it always runs through my mind like it's just it's they're waiting for their right birth time it's not their it's not their time yet they're they have a specific Mm -hmm time that's going to work for them that's going to imprint their soul and you know yeah the planets change constantly so you know their personality can change pretty drastically in the span of a few days of being born and yeah there's just a lot um we do need to deepen so much into trust as mothers it's hard for a lot of women yeah and it really sets you up too for how you go on to give birth and then mother your child. And, you know, it's like, it's all part of the kind of continuum of the blood mysteries. Uh, You know, if if anyone has been in the birth realm at all, we all know the saying that you, you birth how you live. And now that I'm working primarily in fertility and preconception, I also see that women conceive how they live. (laughs) It's like, there's a very, there's very specific archetypes. I mean, obviously the women who come to me at you know, are ultimately of a certain breed, right? Because they're seeking out yeah. <laughs> the astrologer. Type A, and, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm very loud about my opinions on IVF and all these other uh, interventions. And so most of the women coming to me are, you know, they've accepted that that's not their path and that, you know, they're doing the work in, in radically different ways than other contemporary, you know, women are. Um, but yeah, there's definitely the archetype of the woman who's just like committed to suffering in her preconception, like committed mm. to it, you know, and it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's their path. Right. Um, mm. And certainly the children who choose to come through that channel, 
IVF or all the surrogacy or all these other things that are going on, right? Those, I have to mm-hmm. accept that that's that soul's part of that soul's karma as well. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like, uh, and then of course the women who do commit to that, then ultimately their birth ends up being its own medically insane. Right. So it's just, you can, you just see how it sort of unfolds, um, from there. So, yeah, I guess all that is to say that preconception is such a rich time to really discover yourself. Um, and, and I'm, I'm moving through that as well, because my current preconception is quite different than my first one. Um, so yeah, Yeah, I want to hear about that. Yeah. Maybe you can share (laughs) some of those stories. Yeah. I'd love to hear how they're different. I don't know how much, if you want to just cover briefly kind of the first time and then, you know, the longer path that you've been weaving through this time and, how are you able to maintain that trust and peace and connection, even though it's, it's a little longer than mm-hmm. I, I think you would like, is that right? Just based on following kind yes. of your thoughts <laughs> for a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have fully accepted that my life from here on out is not going to look like what I think it's going to look like. <laughs> That's the cool. only way That's that I get through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, my, my preconception with fauna was essentially non-existent. Right. So this was, this was a situation in which, um, right. We just talked about how sometimes it takes a long time for a soul to connect with its mother and its birth family and blah, blah, blah. And then of course there's the opposite side of that spectrum in which the souls come barreling into women's lives. Um, uh, when women don't actually think that they want the soul there <laughs> or are ready for that. Oh. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, so with fauna, uh, my preconception was essentially non-existent. I was not planning on having a baby within a few years. I think it just, you know, my, my partner and I had, we were only dating for, I think a year and a half or something like that. Uh, when fauna came through and I was very ignorant about my body, and my cycles, uh, the only tracking that I did was marking a little red dot in my calendar for the first day of my period, which came every 28 days. So at least I had that going for me. But um, look back, at, I remember looking back so many times looking for clues, like, when did I conceive this child? Was it my fertile moon phase? Like it was one of those pregnancies where you almost feel like it was like an immaculate conception because you just don't even know how it happened. Um, yeah. And I, I didn't track anything about my cycles. I don't even know how many, how long my bleeds were anything like that. So, um, yeah. And she, you know, she was a Saturn return, uh, child as well. This seems to be very common in my Mm -hmm. audience where really big, um, fertility happenings seem to occur around the Saturn return. Both my partner and I were going through our Saturn returns. Um, Mm -hmm. and there was, we even had the same exact like orb of conjunction between our Saturns and our charts. It was, it was crazy. So anyway, there was, there was Uh, something going on, (laughs) you know, there was something going on. Yeah. So, yeah. And so I got pregnant with her uh, unexpectedly and yeah, it just really rocked. It really rocked me. And I talk, I talk more about that like on my podcast and other places um, if people are interested, but I just wasn't ready 
Um, I wasn't ready, whatever that means. And I was, you know, I was, because I was trying to figure things out while I was pregnant, I sort of figured a lot of things out a little bit after the fact. Like, for example, I didn't Mm -hmm. realize how important a mother blessing was going to be to me until like very shortly after I already gave birth. And, and I realized how deeply that affected my inability to integrate the made into motherhood transition, which ultimately resulted in me drinking excessively postpartum and having other issues. Right. So, Mm -hmm. and then I also didn't really realize that I didn't want to medicalize birth until very end towards my pregnancy. Right. And so like, it was kind of like clumsy, right? Like I was sort of like, I still had like the home birth in my bathtub, blah, blah, blah. And everything was like, quote unquote, fine, right? Everything I should be happy, right? Like, cause everything seemed mm-hmm. to be the way that it, I wanted it to be. But I look back on that whole experience and just have to honor um, how deeply I think I didn't know I was struggling. And also that I really did do the best that I could. And yeah, considering all the circumstances, I I have to say that I'm pretty proud of that version of of myself. Um, but yeah, so so that kind of came into my life very quickly, and I didn't have time to prepare my body the way that I thought that I would, or prepare emotionally, or even any any of the things really. Uh, and now my preconception is dragging on. <laughs> in a excruciatingly (laughs) painful way um but also kind Mm -hmm. of a strange way because it's not even necessarily because I'm not uh, managing to conceive I'm not even actually trying to conceive yet which is the excruciating piece so essentially um I declared in 2021, early 2021, that I was going to embark on a a conscious conception journey, right? And I didn't, but I I really didn't know what that meant. I like totally had no idea what the fuck I was doing. It's just like, it was this thing, like a hashtag, right? Oh, conscious conception. That sounds so magical. I'm going to do that. And so I announced that I was going to do this. (laughs) And then literally nothing changed in my life. Like I had no framework. I had no structure. Like nothing changed. Right. Um, and and also this was during the era of this is like the 2020 era, you know, and so my body was in a constant state of fight or flight. I was completely dysregulated and dissociated, um, moving around all over the place. Again, I've talked about this in other places. Uh, so, yeah, I just wasn't like. Actually focused on how I just knew I wanted a baby right? Like I just knew I wanted another baby. Mm-hmm. I also had a lot of programming around like how you should space your children. So when Fauna turned two, mm-hmm. I like immediately heard my mother's voice talking about how you should have babies three years apart. Otherwise they won't be friends with each other. And like all these other weird things that she believed about spacing children. Um, and so I wasn't really taking into consideration like my well-being, the well-being of my family, my partnership, my financial stability, like all of this stuff. Like it was just like, oh, I should have a baby now and I want one. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, nothing changed. And we continued moving around, had the whole intentional community, actually a cult experience and, you know, ran through all our savings, just like totally making all these insane decisions. Um, 
yeah, as a re- as a reaction, not an intelligent response to 2020. Uh, and then ultimately ended up living back in my partner's uh, parents' house. And mm-hmm. that have that we moved back in with his parents uh, a year ago. Yeah, a year ago. So I last August. And this is when the process of preconception really started to confront me again. Because now Fauna was going to turn four years old. And I still wasn't any closer to having my baby. And we went through all of this turmoil and financial dismantling and blah, blah, blah. So it was kind of like, okay, maybe I should start taking this more seriously or we're like never going to actually have this baby. And the, everything that's unfolded over the past year, I've, I've written about in more greater detail on my Substack um, in the column called The Cosmic Conception Diaries. Uh, So you can like read more about that there. But I basically ended up going through all of these like chapters. Um, Like, for example, I went through the chapter where I thought, okay, I'm going to focus on nourishment because that's what you're supposed to do. Right. And then I realized that there were all of these psycho emotional factors in my life that were so present and so anti-nourishment that I realized how little the food mattered. And so then yeah. I had to start addressing that. Um, and then I went through this, the chapter of weaning fauna because I was still nursing fauna because I had pedestaled this idea that I was going to tandem nurse my children and be like this breastfeeding champion or that I would just wait until fauna weaned herself, which now I look back and I'm like, oh my God, she would have been like seven years old <laughs> because I also pedestaled the idea of child-led weaning and the reality was mm-hmm. is that breastfeeding just wasn't working for me anymore like my child was almost four years old I was starting to resent the whole process I wasn't even making it anymore and like why was I really holding on was it really that important to me to wait until I had a second baby just so I could say look at me I'm tandem nursing I mean this is all like ego stuff right yeah so ultimately I had to choose to let go of breastfeeding with fauna which I felt was very much part of my preconception preparation it was very symbolic of kind of like taking my body back and taking a breath in between children uh, and all this kind of stuff and we held we facilitated a whole weaning ceremony for her which was really healing um for me if anything I don't know if she'll appreciate it (laughs) it's somewhere in her psyche but for me definitely it was healing um and then I went through the whole sexual healing chapter where my partner and I had like had to confront the realization that we weren't really making love anymore you know um and there was like a breaking point again I write about this in the diaries where uh yeah, it all kind of like came to a head, no pun intended. (laughs) Um, It all kind of came to a head and we had to confront the reality that like intimacy was just not something that was present in our relationship anymore. And I saw this very much as a parallel and a reflection for why we had been struggling financially for the past three years and why it was so difficult for us to champion our creativity um, and find success in the things that we were passionate about and, you know, wanted to work with and 
yeah, there were just like a lot of layers and a lot of mirrors in other places in our life for the fact that like there was no intimacy and it was not serving us. And also, um, how are you going to make a baby if you're not having sex? And I just like, was like, oh my God, like, I'm not, I know I'm not trying to conceive right now, but when I am, what is that going to look like? We're just going to set an alarm for like when I'm ovulating and then just get it over with. Like, no, no, like I am not going to be that woman. That's not my story. I <laughs> actively decided that that was not going to be my story. And so then we had the, sexual intimacy kind of um healing chapter which really took place all summer I would say the summer was very much focused on that and I'm telling you right now if you're listening to this I live with my in-laws okay so you have no excuse <laughs> you are struggling. well actually they can take your daughter I'm because I'm just thinking like I don't know how other parents the car it's so hard to carve out that time when you don't have a babysitter so I imagine that kind of helped no or no did you just wait no. till nighttime no. okay okay <laughs> well we don't really have any privacy because um we live in the basement level which goes out into the patio and in the backyard so it kind of is like there's just this room like the room is not a private space um there's also like windows that like go onto the front streets like people coming up to the house could potentially like look into the window and like see what's going on in there um it's not a sexual bubble like when you're 20 (laughs) or a teenager you just do it in the woods or in a car right (laughs) you don't even care yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. Also, Did- like his, his parents actually aren't involved in caring for her as much as other people think. Like, I think a lot of people assume like, oh, you live with the grandparents. Like they probably watch her all of the time. And like, that's just not what the situation is for us. So, yeah. um, you know, also we co-sleep and we're on very different schedules. There's just been a lot of like convenient excuses to not confront right this challenge you're right pri- yeah you prioritized it which made the time yeah and we found yeah. lots of creative solutions <laughs> like had to get very creative um yeah. so so yeah so that was something that was really important to us um and we're gonna talk more about it uh I think when we feel like we're even more on the other side of it than than we are uh because yeah, it's just been life-changing. It's really been life-changing and it's like dramatically changed the dynamic within our relationship. And uh, of course it's changed what money looks like for us in our lives. And um, yeah, and I feel very, very happy to have moved through that. Yeah, that part of this uh, process because I do want to call our child in, um, in love you know, like in love, not an, in obligation. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so that, that was a chapter. And, um, now, now the next chapter that I'm about to enter into is kind of the, the physical healing chapter. Right. So it's sort of funny. Cause I think we think of preconception preparation and it's like, you think first of the physical body, right? Like, Oh, you're going to eat all the foods and, I don't know what, whatever, take the herbs or the supplements or like whatever people are into. But like, for me, it's like coming last, right? Like I had to, I had Mm -hmm. to like move through all these other big, like 
emotional things uh, before I even arrived at 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 feeling healing my physical body. Um, and really, all of this is happening be in a way because we live with Alex's parents and we're not on our own yet. Um, and it's just not it wouldn't be smart for me to get pregnant here. I don't want to be pregnant here. Uh, it's not. I don't like using this terminology, but like it's not like a safe space for us, <laughs> um, which is I yeah. won't get into. I get but that. like. So like, it's yeah. just, uh, yeah, it's just not where, uh, we want to call in a child. Um, and I want to know where I'm giving birth personally. I'm sort of done with all of the running around and the risk taking. Um, I don't want to get pregnant and then just like hope that we find a place to move to by the end of my pregnancy. Like, I don't want to be in that kind of space, you know? So, um, so that this is hence, this is why, like, also why I have all of this time to, con to con come into these new layers of awareness around what I, how I want my life to look different. So, so yeah, so now this next chapter that I'm um, embarking on is actually the physical healing chapter, which is almost the mo more vulner vulnerable chapter for me of all of the chapters, mm. <laughs> even more vulnerable Interesting. than sex talking about being broke or anything like that. <laughs> really? I'm curious. Well, why is that? okay. So now, so now we're getting personal. So the reason why this chapter is a big deal for me is because one of my shadow aspects is being outed as a fraud, and uh, as someone who has been constantly in other people's business, thinking that I know how other people should heal, uh, in a very dysregulated and like heroy type of way in my twenties, right? And then coming into actually working in the kind of the realm of like birth and women's health and that kind of thing, right? Um, you know, it's like you you kind of don't want people to think that you're a hypocrite, right? Like it's like here I am, yes. like oh, health and the modalities and blah blah blah, and then it's like oh shit, like you guys actually like I have some healing to do, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> so and then and then all and then all, of course I also have this shadow aspect which makes it very personal to me whereas like for someone else it might not bother them so this is why this chapter is like a big one for me to talk about but of course I will because I it's part of the process and I'm not like centering uh, censoring anything out right so the next part is about dressing some expressions that are present in my body that because of me being tunnel visioned in fight or flight since 2020, um, I really wasn't able to see. And it's kind of incredible because I know this to be true, that the human mind is extremely intelligent and will perform all kinds of gymnastics to, you know, protect us from things. And I think sometimes one of so, sometimes it's many times the mind is protecting us from things that actually need to be confronted, even if they're painful, right? And so it's interesting, like humans will, it's interesting for how long humans will suffer, right? Like you, you, like people with chronic illnesses and like, oh, like back pain or whatever, right? Like you'll, yeah. you'll, it's amazing for how many years you'll live with those those symptoms and just not do anything about it right like you'll just kind of coexist 
with this like pain body and just like accept it as part of your experience instead of confronting it and doing something about it. And mm-hmm. um, I've, I very recently, like in the past like few weeks, finally had the confrontation with like mm-hmm. the pain body, right? Like the physical body and all of the expressions. And it, I, it's like so incredible how, it was just incredible to see everything, like the constellation of symptoms and my patterning for the first time very clearly. Even like looking at my natal chart, like I I remember like, I don't know, months and months ago, looking at my natal chart, thinking I would identify the root causes of like why I was experiencing what I was experiencing. Didn't see it at all, right? Of course, because it's my own chart, probably. Um, And there's, there's actually a quote that I read in one of my astrology and nutrition books that was something like, uh, he who treats himself has a patient for a fool. And at first I rejected that mm-hmm. quote because I was like, nah, like we are all sovereign in our own healing and like, we don't need anyone else. Right. Um, but then I had this experience and I was like, oh shit. Like in some ways I did this the hard way because I just didn't allow someone outside of me to be a mirror. Right. It was like, cause like sometimes yeah. what you experience is so close to you and you can't see it. And there's a lot of like psycho-emotional barriers that your brain very strategically sets up so that you don't have to see things and experience that pain. So anyway, I had a breakthrough a few weeks ago and spent a lot of time crying and feeling, feeling a lot of grief, feeling like I had spent so much time in my recent life, you know, just living with all of these expressions and like not doing anything about it. And it's now it's fine. Like I'm on the other side. It's fine. I get it. Everything in its own time. I went through all these other healing chapters and preconception and now I'm here and it's all correctly, you know, timed for me and everything. Um, but I definitely grieved uh, for at least a week or two and just cried every day and felt like I couldn't, I couldn't believe that I had spent so many months and even years like living with some of these expressions and not confronting them. Um, And of course, my biggest regret is, you know, wishing that I had, I had sooner because life is so, you know, like you just don't know why not Mm -hmm. feel amazing all of the time. (laughs) Like, you know, why, why suffer with these symptoms? And I don't know. Anyway, so I, I guess I see both sides too, because I feel like I studied somatic psychology in school. So I read a lot of authors like Peter Levine and and a lot of that kind of school of thought that there, that the defensiveness um, is a really intelligent protective mechanism. And that, you know, just knowing that you faced it when you were actually resourced and ready to deal with it, among other divine reasons, but, but I also hear that side of like, you know, we can just choose not to have these things and we can be free of them, but it's kind of like both. Like, it seems like it happened in perfect timing for you. Like you're on this long path of just, you know, layer by layer in its own perfect timing and that you just, you wouldn't have been ready to release that before. That's my feeling, um, with that, like, you know, I really, I honor the, the protective mechanisms because I, I just had my own personal experience with like trying to push through a wall and then 
knowing that you, you just, sometimes you just can't get through and you got to just trust that those mechanisms are there to protect you for whatever reason. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. So I, I, I see both sides though. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'll be so curious to read your diaries to, to hear more of the details here for what you're, what you're speaking to, but I won't push you on, on what it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all going to be, it's all going to be in the diaries for better or for worse. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think most of us are, it's just hard not to have some kind of physical thing that we need to work through in the, in these times. There's just, there's just so much coming at us, but I well, hear you. Something and something else that I've, I'm discovering too, is that the reason why healing is so true. Healing is so challenging is because it really requires so much more from us than the current medical paradigms tell us that we need. Right. So like, if you're, if you're in the allopathic model, it's about diagnosis and medication, right. Um, which actually doesn't really take a lot of effort at all because you just take a pill or whatever and you live with your label and that's all that's being asked of you, right? And then even in the, you know, the quote unquote naturopathic kind of route, it's like, okay, well, we're still going to work with your label. And then we're, instead of giving you petrochemical drugs, we're going to give you supplements, right. Or tell you that you need body work every week indefinitely or like whatever, I don't know, whatever. Right. Um, and, and that actually doesn't really require that much of you either. Uh, but -hmm. then when you, when you confront, um, I guess true healing, you actually are being asked to change in like really big ways. Uh, and that that's something that I've discovered even just in preparing for all the changes that I am actually going to be making this month. Like it, it took me an entire month to prepare to just start making all the changes that I knew I needed to make just to like emotionally go through that grieving process um, and feeling like I finally hear my body and all of that stuff. And then like going through the mental preparation of like, okay, like everything is going to change in a really big way, you know, like how you wake up, how you go to bed, how you move your body, the hours that you work, the boundaries that you set up between yourself and other people, how you prepare your food, you know, like, it's just like so many big things like required change. And that is a hell of a lot more difficult than taking a supplement or a pill or a tincture or like even showing up to a Cairo appointment once a week or whatever. You know what I mean? Like these are huge Mm -hmm. foundational life changes that also bring up their own emotional energetics and their own psychological stories. And so I think that it's a big reason why a lot of people aren't ready for healing or are interested in healing because true healing actually requires monumental shifts and it's really confronting and it, and it changes your whole life. You know, I mean, some people like we think of preconception as like, 
pretty, you know, plates of food from Instagram and like fertility teas and like stuff like that. And it's like, now I'm just like, wait a second, like preconception is like, evolution. Yeah. How are you living your life? What does your relationship look like? Do you even enjoy sex? Are you seeing the goddess in sex? You know what I mean? Like, who are your mm-hmm. friends? Do you need to move to another state? Like, big, big, big things. Like, the fertility teas. Like, fuck it. Like, I mean, if you love them, fine. But I'm just... Yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, so not. Like, where is agree. that? <laughs> Yeah. And then it totally goes into those who choose like a sovereign pregnancy and birth. It's just such a vastly different experience of outsourcing versus all the stuff you're going to have to face when you do it alone, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. How we live is how we birth and mother and it's also related. Yeah. The, the, the wild pregnancy birth thing really asks a lot of us. I don't know if you will be choosing that, but I kind of assume just based on our, on our circles, that's the path you go down. I'm really actually excited for, for that chapter, because I do, like I said, I have a lot of sort of lingering regrets about how I approached my pregnancy with Fauna. And there was clearly a lot of like, um, emotional holes in my prenatal care, if you will. And yeah, and I and I've explored the whole spectrum, right? Like I was a doula in the hospital. And then I swung into free birth, which I also don't actually think is the solution because like, no one has ever in the history of man birthed in solitude. And neither and not to mention like men were not ever involved in like catching babies like so it's just that that is not really like that doesn't really align for me either. Um. And I don't know how I'm going. I mean, my, my vision is that I'm going to be witness ceremonially in giving birth. I don't know who is going to witness me. I am just going to trust that I'm going to be connected with the right woman or women to facilitate that. Um, But yeah. And, and, and I think that's really important because a lot of women uh, feel alone in it's very easy to feel alone in making these radical quote unquote radical choices right like even in me choosing um my healing in the way that I am felt very exposing for me because obviously I I cohabitate with other people in this house who had to know about you know my new some of my new um choices and that I wouldn't be doing certain things like participating in dinner at eight o'clock at night and blah, 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 stuff like that. Right. So like, it can feel very lonely because other people, it's like, this is not how other people do things. Right. It's kind of like, what's wrong with you? Just go to a doctor. Not your family. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Which is like a whole other level of discomfort. I can, I can imagine because I've been offered similar situations and it's so it would be so different if it was your family um so yeah right and I and the same thing happens for women too like I I do think that the reason why a lot a lot of women in our current paradigm choose medicalized birth is because there is no support to birth in another way and again like just choosing to give birth by yourself you know, at, with no like witnessing or prenatal community, prenatal care, like whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like 
no, that's not normal either. Like your physiology doesn't expect that either, you know? Right. Uh, and like yeah. the, 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 the witnessing aspect and the communal aspect and the like co-healing aspect is like a really important part of how we used to do things, you know? Um, yeah. Completely agree. I don't really know where I was going with that, but those are kind of my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think I was asking you about, yeah, what choice you would make in your pregnancy and birth. And yeah, I completely align with that too. I think a lot of women choose to be alone because of, you know, fear of sabotage or just not, ha- and not having access to, you know, the right women who they know will support them. Cause it, it it's a lot is at stake in trusting who is going to be mm-hmm. around you with the, the huge current of fear that is in all of us, some more than others about birth. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's challenging times of reclamation of how we've always done it with our sisters. Yeah. So may it, may it be so that you are seen and loved and honored and in your transition. Thank you. Um, yeah, so thank you for sharing your, your kind of two preconception journeys. I, I think it's beautiful, all the work that you're doing. I'm, I'm going to be really interested to hear about that. Um, yeah, the sexual healing piece with your partner and then, you know, the different physical healing stuff that you're going through and I'll link your, your sub stack for people to follow, so they can deepen in that and get inspired and connect with you on that. Um, I want to hear a little bit now about just, yeah, the work that you do with women. Are the women who come to you, are have they been like trying for a while? They have fertility issues. Like what do you work with women most on? Just kind of like, detailing for them their astrological profile and you know the yeah what maybe you can speak to what you what you help with women with yeah totally well I do do have to say that uh, I have a lot of free resources available through my podcast and on Instagram so much so that a lot of women in my audience are managing their own fertility with that knowledge so I get a lot of messages from women who are conceiving cosmic conceptions uh, using their mm-hmm. the information about their fertile moon phases and stuff like that, uh, which is super, super wonderful. Uh, and then women who tend to be more on the spectrum of, um, you know, what the system would call infertility, right, are usually the ones who end up coming to me one-on-one and sitting with me through my offering, which is called Infertile Moon. Uh, And in that offering, what we do is explore the sort of holistic and cosmic picture of what you're experiencing. So through that offering, um, you receive a fertile transit report in which I basically outline all your fertile moon dates and any additional transits that might be impacting that experience uh, for six months. So that you have that, right? And then you can do with that and approach that how you want to. 
And then of course I look at your natal chart and write up a full medical astrology report that explores uh, your sun position, your moon position, your constitution, according to key placements within the chart. And then of course, some sort of like elemental planetary and astro herbal uh, remedies that can complement what I see in your chart. In addition to, of course, what you tell me in session, right? Because sometimes the chart, you want to look for multiple testimonies for how a person is having their experience, right? It's not like, I don't, I don't do it pathologically, right? So it's not like, oh, because you have Saturn here, that means that you're going to be infertile. And <laughs> it's like this whole, right? It's like, <laughs> we're, we're just looking at how you are working with the energies and how those are expressing through your current experience. Uh, and then in conversation, we talk more about things like the quality of your menstrual cycle, uh, your lifestyle medicine, um, what your emotional body is doing. And, and everybody is very different. I think some women think that they're going to come into infertile moon and I'm just going to like a fortune teller be like, ah, oh, yes. And your chart, you have two children coming, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? But like, but like really it's, it's much more than that in that we're using astrology to bring awareness to your current experience and support you in having the confidence that you may be looking for to make the choices that you need to make to alter your path, essentially, right? And some women come to me and they very clearly are having a lot of physiological expressions and those of course need to be addressed, right? Like if your period is coming, is 12 days long one month and then 37 days long the next month, it's like, okay, well, knowing your fertile moon phase is nice and everything, but like we probably should clean this up right? Like your body's speaking to you. Um, So then of course we have to address that. Uh, And then also some women are coming to me with like a lot of, a lot of stories, right? Especially if they're the kind of person who's already worked with a lot of other practitioners, but like nothing seems to be making things better. What usually this is, looks like women who are on like 20 different supplements and they're going to acupuncture and, you know, But of course, like nothing's still happening and the baby's still not coming through. And of course, like all of these supplements and all of these bodywork things are like not addressing like key core changes that need to like happen in their life based on what their menstrual cycle is telling them isn't working for them, right? Uh, And a lot of these things can be reflected in the chart too. So like, for example, most of the women who come to me have a lot of placements that confirm that they struggle with like stagnant energy in the womb or a cold womb, things that are very reflective of what like a TCM practitioner would tell them or even an Ayurvedic practitioner would tell them. And so it provides confirmation for some of the remedies that they can work with to bring balance into that space. Uh, And then of course, there's also women who um, have completely karmic experiences going, you know, Something that I recently brought into the readings um, is more of an evolutionary astrological perspective, which looks at Pluto and the the lunar nodes in the chart, which can really be revealing in terms of the specific path 
that that woman is meant to be walking in this lifetime. And sometimes those paths uh, can reveal things about, you know, why a child hasn't come through yet or how like their struggles with early births and fertility and the blood mysteries is like part of her dharma, right? That like, this is exactly where she's supposed to be in this lifetime. And that it's like for her expansion. Um, you know, there, there's all kinds of layers to how, you know, especially if someone is physically perfectly healthy and they feel like there's no reason for a child to come through, sometimes bringing that evolutionary aspect into the picture can help them understand like what is being asked of them in terms of like a soul evolutionary standpoint, um, which could help unblock uh, some of the energetics around why they're experiencing what they're experiencing. So it's very diverse. Um, yeah, the women who come to me are are coming from very different different places. Uh, and But the, of course, the thing that they have in common is that they're not getting pregnant. <laughs> right. Um, but everyone's story is so different, uh, and so unique and which is kind of, um, beautiful to witness actually, because it really just does confirm for me that the realm of preconception is such like an intimate and vast space, uh, that is really rich. And it's just not as simple as like, drinking raw milk and, and fertility teas. Like, it's just not like there's so if it, if it is, like I said, a longer journey for you and not one of the wham, bam, baby comes in journey when you don't expect it, then like, it's because there's something there for you, right? You're not being punished. It's not because of some horrible, you know, karma or something like that. It's just, it's there, it's there for you. Uh, and there's a lot, there's a lot to explore there. Uh, and it's really important to me to help women see it that way and kind of untangle from all of the horrible stories that our society places on women about infertility and age and, you know, unexplained, we don't know, sorry, get an egg donor, like just all of this kind of stuff. It's not serving women. It's just not. So, so yeah, that's what um, I'm working on right now through Infertile Moon. And it's been, yeah, really rewarding and uh, exciting, especially when the women get pregnant, of course. <laughs> that's my favorite part, hearing about you got your baby. <laughs> How many women conceive on their fertile moon phase? Like, what's the percentage? Would you, or do you know, just of the oh ones who- through that's so well, fascinating I've been, I've been doing this for a year and so far my very first client got pregnant um when she was more astrologically fertile than hormonally fertile like the hormonal window wasn't really there you know but mm -hmm. she was definitely under her fertile moon phase uh, and that was when she conceived, uh, not when she was actually like really ovulating. 
So that was really exciting. And then of course, a lot of women in my audience are conceiving um, under their fertile moon phases. I have a whole highlight on Instagram called evidence, I think. <laughs> and it's like mm-hmm. all of the women who are writing in with those, those stories. Um, yeah. And then, and so then of course the women who came after that first client came after that first client. So I'm sort of waiting I'm waiting for the the wave of of, mm-hmm. <laughs> of emails to come through. But you know, everyone's everyone's journey is different. So uh yeah, I really had to let go of the the egoic um notion that I would just hand women their fertile moon mm-hmm. phases and then they would tell me that they got pregnant like a month later, right? So <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. I think that's so fascinating that, um, yeah, all the things you were detailing that you could see in someone's chart about their constitution and their, their tendencies. I think that's so valuable for women on this journey to, to learn. Um, cause I've tried to kind of self teach and look things up and calculators, and I know a decent amount about astrology, but it's really helpful to have someone who is an outsider who can, who has a deeper working knowledge and can, can transmit some of these things. Cause we just can't be experts in everything, you know, we need each other. Yeah. And so, it's hard to see yourself sometimes. It's like, look at me. Like I was looking at my chart for a year and couldn't see was, was like right in front of my face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're meant to, yeah. Relationships are just the most, that's, that's how we heal and evolve for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Thank you for sharing all of this. I just feel so much sparked and opened and all these potential possibilities, which feels so good instead of just all of the rigid stuff we're handed down about. This is when you're fertile and this is how many eggs you have. And this is, you know, it's just, there's so much more being uncovered and shared among us. And so much mystery. So it's, it's beautiful for us to tap into all of the possibilities because we are working with cosmic otherworldly things that defy our human boundaries. So yeah, thanks yeah. for, for sparking this for me and for all of those You're listening. Welcome. Thank you yeah, for having well, I'll me. Be- yeah, we'll be excited to follow on your path and 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 read more and when you become pregnant and how that goes. So I'll just link everything that you send me that you want women to to know about. And yeah, if you have any just last words of wisdom to women who are yeah, wanting to call in their babies and just like what mm-hmm. is your what does your heart tell them to really tap into above all? Mm. I guess I just want to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of how long it takes. Don't be afraid of what the outcome is going to be. And most importantly, actually, is not to be afraid to face yourself because you will not regret it. Your life will only keep getting better and better whether or not a baby comes through and that's not a terrible worst case scenario. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Thank you.
Thank you for listening and being here. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love to have you share it with a friend and review this podcast. It really helps to have more women find these conversations. You can check out all I offer, including herbal elixirs for wild mothers and women, my book on pelvic healing, and show notes for these episodes at bethanywild.com. Together now, oh, wild sisters singing over the bones.